We're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, Ecclesiastes in chapter number five, Ecclesiastes in chapter number five, the book of Ecclesiastes. chapter number five. <clears throat> and look down with me, if you would, please, to verse number nine. We're going to begin our reading in verse number nine. Ecclesiastes chapter five and verse number nine. The Bible says, moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of the laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for me, uh, for one to eat and to drink, and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. We've looked at a lot of things in the book of Ecclesiastes in past weeks. And uh, King Solomon addresses here this subject, I believe. Wealth without wisdom equals emptiness. Or we could subtitle it, Money Does Not Buy Happiness. It does not. Let's pray. We'll get, we'll get going. <clears throat> Father, one more time, I just ask for your power, Lord, your guidance and everything I say and do. Uh, Lord, just your presence to be real in this place. I, I pray that you would arrest the attention of the listeners, Lord, that they would hear what you have for them today. And Father, that you would work in our hearts as only you can. We're trusting you for these things, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the Word of God. And please do be seated. Over in Matthew chapter 7 is the parable of the two houses built by two men. One of the men built his house upon a rock and the other built his house upon the sand. And both houses seem comparable in appearance and comfort and security. That is, until the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew, as the Bible says, and beat upon the house. So when the storms showed up, the test of this life, the house that was built upon the sand, well, the Bible says it fell. It not only says it fell, it says that great was the fall of it. We have to make sure that we are upon sure foundation, that we are living our life in such a manner that is, uh, that is uh, appropriate, 
with what God tells us in His Word. It's important that we are not, uh, that we have not set our eyes on the things of this world, but that we are focused upon the things of God. Solomon said early in this book, he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I said that uh, the best explanation that I've ever heard of that is this, soap bubbles, soap bubbles, all is soap bubbles. They look good for a little while, they're pretty, but they don't last. And they're gone, and they're worth nothing whatsoever. The thing that's going to last is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and living a life that He has for us. And part of that is that we are not dependent so much upon the things that God gives us as we are dependent upon the God that gave them to us. As we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that Solomon had experimented with some of the foundations that men build their lives upon. And at the onset of each and every one of those, they looked as though they'd offer up a lifestyle that would be gratifying, a lifestyle that would be fulfilling. But when tested, the end of them, well, it was all vanity. It was just empty. He said that the party, life, the party lifestyle was just madness. So it didn't make any, any sense whatsoever. Then he talked about how giving all of his time and energy into his work of acquiring and building the empires that he built just left him empty. And then when he looked at religion, even when he looked at religion, now we have to remember this, he left God out of his search for happiness. No, 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 no. King Solomon was on a search for happiness in this world, in this life. But he left God out of it. It was a totally secular view. It was a total secular search for, for happiness in this life. And, and he said that religion left him wanting, listen, it left him wanting when it was nothing more than a bunch of man's rituals and keeping up appearances I'm so thankful that I'm not stuck in religion. I'm thankful that I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that is real and right and true and guiding in every part of my life. It's not, no, 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 I'm not trying to keep up with man's rituals. All I need to do is have a daily walk with my God. Sure. And where we're at this morning in this text, he's putting the test, the foundation of prosperity. Now remember, this is King Solomon. And as a king, he rubbed shoulders probably with some of the wealthiest people uh, in, in his kingdom. And, it's, and it very well could be that some of the conversations that he had back during those days uh, involved questions with the satisfaction of their lives because of their bank accounts. You know, how things going? I mean, how much you got, how much gold you got stored up? How much silver you got stored up? How many horses do you have in your stables now? How many chariots do you have? Did you see those new wheels that came out for the chariots? Do you have a set of those yet? Come on. Come on. I don't know what all the conversation was, but surely there was some conversation about that. But in his evaluation of such, he gives us, uh, he gives us understanding, listen, of both the use and the abuse of money. Because money, money can be used properly, but if used without wisdom, it can be abused also. And we find right in the beginning of this, the purpose of money. Verse number nine, where we, where we started uh, there. Uh, it says, um, uh, moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. <clears throat> so the resources of this world are for meeting the needs of God's creation. That's you and me. Okay, I'm going to say it again because I want you to get this. The, the resources of this world are, are, are for meeting the needs of God's creation, you and me. No, it's there. The profit of the earth is for all. It was meant to meet our needs. All men, all men, even kings are served by the field. That's the way it says it. 
the, the resources that God has provided to sustain life. Even the kings, come on, even the kings had to get, get their uh, vegetables and things from the earth, from the garden, from the, the meat, from the fields, whatever the case may be. If someone does not manage their resources wisely, if they're wasteful or neglect the work of their fields, then they will not have everything that they need. Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, The slugger will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall beg in harvest and have nothing. So this earth that God put us on, it can supply our need. Okay, that's God's plan. He planned that it would be so. He, he placed us here. He gave us this world. He placed us here. And, and, and God designed a world in which, get this, get this, get this, in which labor should produce a profit, which in turn would provide for our needs. Proverbs 28, 19, the Bible says, He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. So it's important, isn't it, that we put our focus on how God expects us to operate. The free enterprise system works because it operates around God's design. According to God's design. Come on. When God is replaced, listen to me please, when God is replaced by materialism and He's replaced by greed, people lose sight of God's purpose for money. Okay, for example. Uh, the purpose of eating is to replenish the nutrients of the body. But way too often we, we eat to satisfy our taste buds at the expense of nutritional needs and bodily health. Okay. Okay, let me say it this way. Twinkies won't keep you going. <laughs> Ain't going to keep you going. No, 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 no. You, you can only survive on that for so, for so long. And many times money's treated the same way. The exact same way. Instead of regarding it as a means of meeting the needs of our lives and, and accomplishing God's purpose in this world, it is pursued and it is spent as though it were the key to happiness and satisfaction. Oh, come on, please don't miss this. Instead of being used the way that God intended for it to be used, it is used with the purpose of buying happiness or buying satisfaction. But that's never the way that God meant for it to be. It is often used in ways that are morally and spiritually and personally destructive. Money. <clears throat> There's a lot of wrong philosophies about wealth. We can see a few of them here. Verse number 10 says this, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity, it's just empty. So one of the biggest, um, one, of the, one, of the, mm, one of the main wrong philosophies of wealth is this, money will make you happy. Uh, this is the myth of this. Uh, just a little bit more. I just need a little bit more money and then I'll be happy. Uh, 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 how much money will I need to be happy? Well, just a little bit more than I have right now. If I have just a little bit more, I'll be happy. No, come on, that's, that's the myth that's out there. If I have just a little bit more money, I'll be happy. Come on, I know money's, money's needed to buy groceries and pay bills, all those other things, understand, we're going to address that. But, 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 but we have this idea, if I just had more money, I'd be happy. And get this too, there's no place in the Bible that God says that it's wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have money. No, 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 no. Money of itself is not evil. Money of itself is not harmful to our lives. 
The thing that hurts people is a wrong attitude towards money and the sinful use of money. Most people, well, there's a lot of people that don't need more money than they have because if they had more money than they have, they would absolutely destroy themselves completely. It is dangerous to love money, to make it the object of our affections, to give it a high priority in our life if I just had more. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, money is the root of all evil. No, 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 no. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through many sorrows. The love of money. I've seen this way too many times as a pastor. I've seen it too many times. Oh, preacher, I got this job. Oh, yeah, and it's going to pay me so much better. Well, that's great. Well, I'm going to have to miss some Wednesday night services. Red flag. And you know, they tell me I may have to work Sundays sometime. Another big red flag. No, no. While the pursuit of money pulls them away from their God, there's a problem. Absolutely a problem. The love of money has become more important than the love of God. The, the, mm, I'm trying. I'm trying to preach it. I'm trying, I'm trying. It's harmful to serve money. Truly. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, mammon being money. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. Greed is a desire. Greed is a desire that can never be satisfied. Can never be satisfied. Making money for the sake of making more money is not biblical. It's not what God intended at all. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Too many people are pulled away from God because of the love of money. Uh, they want more money, and they think that's going to make them happy. Uh, look, money should be pursued with three goals in mind. Number one, providing for our needs. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. No, that's God's plan. You want to eat? Go get a job. Go out there and work. Plow up a garden. Raise up some cattle. I mean, you want to eat? You need to be working. Providing for your needs. Money. But, no, 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 because nah, we need it, don't we? Come on, you need money, you got to pay your bills. You need money, you got to buy some groceries. But also future needs, I mean, repairs that might come about, medical things, retirement, vacation, things like that. Absolutely so. Providing for our needs. We're, we're pursuing money with three goals in mind. Number one, providing for our needs. Number two, helping others. Well, that went over good. We're, save, we're saving to share so that we can be a blessing to others, so that we can help others along the way. Amen. Come on, that we can, no, 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 that we can, no, that we can help meet the needs of others as they need that. Absolutely so. No, no. Okay, number three, investing in eternity. I said we should be making money so we can invest in eternity. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says, Lay not up treasures for yourself upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Well, I've heard that before. Yeah, when we took up the offering, I read it right there. Yeah, you've heard it before. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, verse 33 says, and all these things shall be added unto you. Lay up your treasure in heaven. I mean, as the Lord would have you to give, give to the Lord. 
I'm so very thankful for the pledges that the, the commitments that have come in for our faith promise program in this next year. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Because every, no, no, every dollar that you give that we send to these missionaries that we support all around the world, every dollar that you give that way is laying up treasure in heaven. And it's the only thing we get to take with us. Sure. There are three things, there are only three things that you can do with money. There are only three things that you can do with money, and each requires godly wisdom. Well, what are they, preacher? Well, you can spend it. People like that. I figured I'd get a bunch of amens right there. <laughs> you can save it. That's a little bit harder along the way at times. Or you can give it away. Just three things you can do with money. The man who loves money no longer controls his possessions, but they control him. It's just not good. Not at all. And then we continue to talk about the wrong philosophies about wealth. And this is a big one. Well, if I just had money, I wouldn't have problems. Money eliminates problems. People think money's going to eliminate their problems. No, no, no. Verse 11. It says, When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? You know, the more lavish your lifestyle, the more it costs you to sustain it. And I can just tell you this, there's always going to be problems in life. And money is not the answer to the biggest percentage of those problems. <clears throat> if that was true, there wouldn't be so many people that have much more than you and I will ever be able to have that still have so many problems. And the bigger your financial pie, the more people who get the slice of it. Just the way that it is. But here's one of the, here's a wrong philosophy. Money will purchase contentment. If I just had more money in my bank account, I would be content. Well, verse number 12, it says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. To be content means to be free from care without worry. You know, it seems reasonable that a wealthy person would be more content than a person who lives from paycheck to paycheck. But still, Solomon demonstrates that it is not the amount of money that a man has that determines his capacity for contentment. Listen, listen but rather his attitude towards it. His attitude towards it. Because genuine contentment is marked by peace. You know, the quiet confidence of one who has labored for what they have and trust God for what they need. Oh, come on. I really, I really like verse 12. The sleep of the laboring man is sweet whether he eat little or much. <clears throat> someone that's content doesn't lie awake at night envious of the prosperity of others or worried about meeting the next day's needs they're content with what God has given them they're trusting God all along the way and a contented person is easily satisfied Look at verse 18. It says, Behold that which I have, uh, behold with, mm, come on brain, behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Look at verse 20. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. 
So he enjoys whatever he has, whether it's little or whether it's much. Come on, he's not always looking to buy something bigger and better. It's not like, man, I got I to gotta, I gotta do this and I've got to do that. I've got to have this and I've got to have that. And if I don't have this, I'm not going to be happy. And, and I need one of these and I need one of those. And we need to run to Walmart to buy some stuff so we can impress the neighbors. Just happy with what he has. Whether it be little or whether it be much. And he looks back over the days of his life without regret. Verse number 20 there, it says, not much remember. What's that? Well, he doesn't much remember. He doesn't doesn't think about the hardships he endures. God's been good. Come on, no matter, no, 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 no matter we, whether we have little, or no matter if we have much, God's been good. Well, if we really believed that, and we really practiced that, I, I, I mean, we were content with whatever God has, whatever He's given us. If we really practiced that, what a much better life it would be. No, a person like this doesn't waste their energy thinking about what they don't have. Well, I don't have this, and I don't have that. and I, I, I don't know, maybe if I had this, I'd be a little happier. Maybe if I had that, I'd be a little happier. And a person like this, like it talks about there in verse number 20, it's not that he cannot remember the disappointments of life, but he just simply refuses to dwell on them. I want to dwell on those things. God's been too good to me. Well, preacher, I've had some real disappointments. It's a big club. No, truly, it's it's a big club. I'm not. I'm. I'm not. It's a big club. We've had disappointments, haven't we? Come on, why dwell on those when God's been so good? Come on, I, I would will, I'd be willing to say that the biggest percentage of the people that are sitting in this place right now and even listening, the biggest percentage, it's been a long time since you missed a meal. You slept in a bed last night. Amen. Biggest part of you drove yourself to service today. Had money to buy gas, even though it's ridiculously priced. Why dwell on the bad when there's so much good? It's been so good to us. See, contentment is always partnered with gratitude. Well, where do you get that? Verse 19. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Well, I work hard for my money. Yeah, God gives you the health to do that. God gave you the job where you could do that. God made it possible for you to do so. Absolutely. Contentment always partnered with gratitude. Because it is impossible to be content and ungrateful at the same time. It's impossible. Can't do it. And according to verse number 20, the contented heart is a joyful heart. A joyful heart. That person's happiness is not attached to their possessions. It resides within them and their heart. <clears throat> if I just had this, if I just had that, 
If, if I just lived here, if I, if I just, if I, if I just could get, if I could just, if I just, if I just, if I just, if I just. The reason that most people are not happy is that they just cannot learn to be content where they are. And people that already have that, listen to me, people that already have that uh, mindset will never be satisfied no matter how much they have. Because the more they'll get, the more they'll want. The bigger it is, the better they want it. Well, if we could just learn to be content with what God gives us, Oh no, it's good to work hard and work if you want to if you want if you want something, it's good to work for something and get something. But we all we don't we don't always need to be looking uh we don't always need to be looking outside of where God has us. Our happiness should reside within. Because the contented person rejoices in the Lord and His goodness through the circumstances of life. Again, we all have disappointments. Again, we all go through hard times. Again, there always will be times that we wish were better. But God's always there for us. And if we learn to trust Him through those times, it sure makes the rest of our life go a whole lot better. One more. Let's think about uh, the peril of money. Because we're, we're talking about that. Look at verse number 13. It says, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil to avail. And he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. And he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this is also a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he had much sorrow and wrath with sickness. You know, it is possible, and I believe what it's speaking of here, it is possible to love money more than you love your family. More than you love the people around you. And a man can hoard money in the bank that really should be used to meet needs but it just wants to hold on to it as tight as he can. Just a little more. Put a little more back. Put a little more back. And in the process, in the process, he can teach those around him, family, friends, children, whatever, to have a greater affection for his money than for him. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, while his uh, saving account increases, and you've seen it, I've seen it, his children stand around Dad's not shared with them. They're bitty, bitter. They're bitter about their stingy father just waiting for the old man to die so they can finally get their hands on all that money. And people like that, just like everyone else, leave this world as empty-handed as the children Solomon describes. Can't take your bank account with you. The Bible says it's better to give than to receive. 
Isn't it a blessing when you can share? Come on, isn't it a blessing when you can help somebody else? Come on, isn't it a blessing when you can give gifts to someone else just to see the smile on their face? The evil of a man's life like that is not that he had money at all, but that his money could have accomplished so much more good if he'd let it go. Instead, it just sits there in the bank, drawing interest, only to be left behind and fought over by his heirs. It is possible to be in bondage to money. And the person that is enslaved to money misses out on a lot of life's pleasures. The pleasure of sleep. I like that, that verse 12 again, but the, the, the end of it says, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. The companionship of family. Verse 17, all his days also he eateth in darkness, just seems all alone hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness, eating in darkness, working late into the night to obtain more money while squandering the time he could be spending investing in his family. I've been there. Back in my oil oil field days, oil, I got to learn to say oil, I'm up north, not oil field, oil, back in my oil field days, making money, man, hand over fist, working a hundred hours a week, I could have more money while my kids were growing up. Wished I had those years back. The person enslaved to money invites unnecessary problems into their life. Verse 17 says, much sorrow. And financial bondage often produces bitterness. Talks about that in verse 17 also. Much sorrow and wrath. Bitter people are often angry people. They live with a lot of wrath. Anger. And bitter people are often ill. It says much sickness. They're often ill, just plagued with diseases that begin with a troubled soul. You can literally worry yourself to death. John D. Rockefeller was the world's first billionaire. And at the age of 53, that guy was making a million dollars a week. A million dollars a week. My little brain can't even comprehend that. A million dollars a week. But they say he couldn't sleep at night. And that his health was so bad that he ate mostly just milk and crackers. 
making a billion dollars a week. And and then it said that he realized that he did not own his money, that it owned him. And afterwards, he became one of the most generous men of that generation. And years later, he was asked how much money it took to satisfy a man. And his answer was this, just a little bit more than he has. Just a little bit more. So a man that made a million dollars a week, stay with me, I'm right at done. A man that made a million dollars a week learned that money is powerless to satisfy those who waste their lives acquiring it and hoarding it. Solomon describes for us the lives of two men. One has money in abundance and he can afford practically anything his heart might desire and the other has enough to uh, just get by. And sometimes getting by means uh, meat and potatoes and sometimes getting by means beans and cornbread, which is not a terrible thing, by the way. It's not a terrible thing. Both men work hard Both men work hard and experience the usual pressures and hardships of this life. Both men. And one one considers himself a blessed man and the other becomes a bitter man. One always seems joyful. The other seldom seems happy. One sleeps very peacefully, secure in the knowledge that God's going to provide all his needs. And the other endures one restless night after another, after another, full of anxiety and fears as his mind is consumed with acquiring wealth and attempting to hold on to as much of his money as he can. And the difference between these two men is not how money... Uh, how much money they amassed over their lifetimes. The difference is found in the attitude with which they handled what came to them. Because to one, the money was practically their God. It it, it occupied a place of preeminence in in his life. And it was pursued with greed and, 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 and served with rigor. And it was the harsh and cruel master of his life. But to the other, money and the things that it could buy was the gift of God. And it was uh, received with gratitude. Genuine thanksgiving to God. One important lesson we can learn from this is that money is never our problem. Come on, I'm done, but I want you to get this. Money is never our problem. Neither possession of money, nor the lack thereof. It is the misuse of money that creates many problems. like every other realm of our lives, we must, we must allow the Scriptures to direct our attitudes toward wealth and possessions and use of our money. We have to learn how to use our money instead of letting our money or the lack thereof control us.
I can remember after my dad kicked me out of the house when I was 17. I can remember scrounging up enough money to buy a bag of potatoes. I figured if I had a bag of potatoes and uh, a little Crisco, I could make me some fried taters. Oklahoma, it may not be the best meal if you're eating it two or three times a day, but it's a meal. And even though back then my life was far removed from what it should have been, I was so happy with that bag of potatoes. It was going to sustain me. It was going to keep me going. If we can just learn to be content, giving the way that God would have us to give, come on, it's a big part of it. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I'm not, and I'm not even going to preach on that, but truly, giving the way that God would have us to give. And just be content with what is left. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, we could live a lot less stressful lives. We could probably smile a whole lot more. I'm, I'm, I'm so frustrated that there are already tons of advertisements, commercials and such for Christmas and the gifts you need to be buying everybody. And it leads to a time, oh, I didn't even, this, this isn't, my no, isn't in my notes, can you tell? And it leads to a time of absolute despair for people. I gotta have this, gotta have that, gotta buy this, gotta buy that. If I don't buy them this, they're not gonna be happy. If I don't do that. Sometimes I wish we could just do away with the present part. Well, who are you, Ebenezer Scrooge? Bill Scrooge, just go right ahead. It's all right. Because I guarantee you there's going to be households where there's a lot of presents under the tree and then everything happens and there's going to be bows and wrapping paper scattered everywhere. And there's going to be, in many cases, discontentment because people didn't get what they wanted. How crazy, brother. This life is not all about stuff. And if we would just learn to focus on our great God and what He supplies for us to make it through this life, and be content right there, we'd all do a lot better. All of us would do a lot better. It really amazes me, Solomon, being the king, having all the riches he had, and the experiments that he went through. And I'm very thankful that the Lord allowed us to have this book and to see these different things. And to make us understand that wealth without wisdom equals emptiness. Or that money does not buy happiness. Well, preacher, you think, well, just give all of money to the church. Stop, stop. No, 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 not unless you want to. <laughs> that was bad, that was bad. No, I think we ought to give to God what uh, He wants us to give. 
But I think we need to learn to live contented with the rest of it. Because Christmas season is going to be over and people are going to have huge credit card bills and all this stupid stuff. It's, did I say stupid? I'm going to say it again, even though it's Sunday morning. All this stupid stuff and headaches just because they thought that people had to have all these things. Money doesn't buy happiness. Draw close to God. Draw close to your loved ones. Be content with what you have. It's very important that we do. The greatest gift that I've ever received is the gift of life. When I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior 38 years ago. If that's a gift you've never received, we'd sure like to show you how you can have that gift. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for making it so clear that you just want us to be content with what you have for our lives. We don't have to look to our neighbors. We don't have to look across the back fence. We don't have to meet up with uh, all the things of Hollywood. We don't have to have everything that we think we need. Lord, first and foremost, we just need you and a willingness to follow you, trusting you to supply our need and being satisfied with what we have. Help us, Lord, to set our focus upon you instead of our bank account, our pocketbook. Help us, dear God, even as this Thanksgiving and Christmas season comes upon us, to be mindful first and foremost, of what you would have us to do with the money that you allow us to have. Lord, however you may have spoken to hearts this morning, I, certainly that's between you and the folks you spoke to. If there's someone here that does not know Christ as their Savior, Lord, we pray for them and we lift them up to you. And we'd, we'd love to have a chance to talk with them about that very thing. Lord, I pray that they might even come this morning let us share the gospel with them. Bless these next couple of minutes, Lord, as we open up an altar. People may need to come and just talk to you about what you've given them or what they feel like you haven't given them. I, I don't know what needs to happen. But Lord, as we have this invitation time, I pray your perfect will would be done. And we'll thank you for what you do. We ask all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Some have come to the altar. You need to come this morning. We'll not take long. I'm not going to drag it out. No, I'm just not going to. But maybe you need to come talk to the Lord. Maybe there is some discontentment in your life even now about what you don't have or what you have. you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we'd love a chance to share Christ with you. There's men waiting. I'd be happy to meet you down front and take a Bible and show you how you can have that all settled. Just let God have His way. Folks are praying. You know you need to come. Whatever God wants you to do.